This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. To left center, deep, gone, Brewers lead it. And a swing and a miss, he struck him out. Down the line, and that's the ball game. Hey, Brewers fans, welcome to another episode of Brewers Unfiltered. We're coming off a pretty huge moment, and we're riding high on it. So we're excited to talk to you about it. I'm Brad Ford, social media manager for the Milwaukee Brewers, and I'm joined by a couple of gigantic nerds, Tim Dillard and Adam McAlvey. How, guys, I mean, we're talking about it. We're still riding high off yesterday's walk-off. I was actually there. McAlvey, you were not. <laughs> <laughs> Well, look, it's not my fault that uh, air travel is brutal and uh, I couldn't I, I could have in the end, I'd actually made it home where I could have gone and covered the game. But we had made arrangements because I thought the odds of me actually getting back in time from Pittsburgh were nil. And uh, so we made alternative plans. So I went to the New Berlin Fourth of July parade and I saw Bernie Brewer. Of course. And mm-hmm. um, then went and spent the day with the family. And it was great. So. You guys had fun, but I had more fun. You know what's crazy is you say you can't make it back in time, but I always make it back in time. Adam. Yeah, I wonder how. <laughs> I've said that I would I would donate a, a large portion of my spectacular annual salary to Brewers Charities for the right to just get into the baggage hold of the charter. That would make <laughs> the job infinitely better. You can like you can put a bag over my head. You can like bl- you, you can plug my ears so I don't hear anything anyone says on the plane. Please let me somewhere yeah. on the team charter. I think last time uh, I was on the charter, Tim and I had a very secretive conversation about Face Off, which I just watched for the, my first time on the last trip. So <laughs> you would have heard some really uh, privileged information there. You're welcome. The best, uh, You're I welcome. did fly on the charter one one time. I had a I had to get back. I think it was for a funeral, and and um, the Brewers were kind enough to let me ride the charter because it was my only way to get back in time for it. And it was when the Brewers traded for Ray Durham with the Giants. Oh, he like yeah. changed clubhouses and then like a day later or whatever it was, got on the charter. And like that was his introduction to the team. So Ray Durham and I both rode the Brewers charter for the first time on the same day. That That's my one claim to fame in baseball. It's crazy. All right. Well, hopefully your career lasts a lot longer and get a better claim to fame. <laughs> but guys, <laughs> yesterday's game... The Brewers and Holiday Dramatics, it seems to go hand in hand, right? Like, they always have to do something spectacular on a holiday, be it Mother's Day, be it Father's Day, be it Labor Day. If it's a special day, if there's a federal off day, they're going to be having extra fun. It just, how much fun was that against a division rival, uh, huge situation, you know, have a lot of guys come together and get a big win, Tim? just we were having a blast at the park yeah my <clears throat> I think my voice is a little strained because I was screaming so much those last couple innings um, it was exciting it was like watching playoff baseball I don't know if the Cubs have a chance to make the playoffs I don't know for sure but that's what it felt like it felt like playoff baseball again in front of 40,000 people and what's interesting is that when the ninth inning rolls around and things started to really you know get amped up a little bit last call was like 
an hour before that. So there's 40,000 people, Brewers and and Cubs fans, that are just a little angry (laughs) in the best way. And it was rowdy, man. And uh, and I I want to point out three things that were just sort of random, and I think we're going to cover it on the pre- and post-game show for Brewers Live. But in the ninth inning, Suzuki hits a inside-the-park home run off Hayter. And I and you can fact check me, Adam. I think that's last time that happened was 2018. So something super rare happens to a guy that you know stuff like that never happens to. First time it's ever happened to Josh Hader. That was random. So then we go to the uh, the uh, bottom of the ninth. Keston here comes up with Urias on first, hits a double in the gap, but because it bounced over for a ground rule double, Urias doesn't score. So that changes the game. And then later on, Wong off the bench comes up, and a ball hits him in the calf. But if it hadn't hit him, it would have gone to the backstop and Urias would have scored. <laughs> and all these three random things happened. It was just super bizarre. Um, but anyway, Brewers get the win and uh, and a lot of good stuff in their box burger in the 10th. Uh, that right there is a good resume to have. If you're ever going to work somewhere, be like, look what I did in the 10th. He'll have a job forever. That was awesome. Yeah. When you get asked the question of name a time you've handled a high pressure situation <laughs> yeah. and how you reacted. And my favorite thing to divert before we get to Adam recapping his view of the game yesterday <laughs> My favorite thing about it is you have Victor Caratini just fist pumping and going wild behind the plate. And Brad Boxberger walks out like he's walking into any like a cafe for brunch. Like, I was going to say Denny's. That's so funny. I was going to say walking through Target. Yeah. He's just in Target shopping. Yeah, like, no, just, big <laughs> no big deal. No big deal. Dude was like, yep, it's just what I do. <laughs> and even Carlos Villanueva called it out on Twitter. And he was like, yep, that's Box. <laughs> Ice in his so face. my favorite Boxberger thing this year is that when it was his birthday, whatever, I, I lost track of time. But earlier this season, it was his birthday. And Brad, you're probably the one who set this all up. You know, you tweet and you Instagram happy birthday to so-and-so. On one of the venues, it's sponsored by Delta Dental. So the player always has a wide smile. And Brad Boxberger actually smiled in his. Mm -hmm. And it was so random an event because on Instagram, it was stone-faced Brad Boxberger. (laughs) Because the smiling picture wouldn't fit into the Instagram Oh, that's so funny. So I asked Brad Boxberger, I said, my God, I've never seen you smile in a picture before because we see him on the scoreboard every time he comes into the game in every park in the league. And it's stone-faced Brad Boxberger. And he said the the Brewers made, you know, probably, again, Brad, probably you, (laughs) made him smile for, for one headshot because of that purpose and he was like they made me smile i hate smiling in pictures <laughs> <laughs> that's as much emotion as you'll get the smiling picture on his birthday yep well you said my view my view was at uh in new berlin at my parents house we had the mlb tv out on the table because uh people were interested in watching it so we were kind of squinting into my iphone <laughs> to, to watch the, <laughs> the end of the game which you know what is a moment in itself because i'll never forget you know, we'll be talking. We'll be talking on the podcast ten years from now about holiday, some holiday game, and I'll say I remember that one Fourth of July where I was in my parents' backyard because that's what I remember about Easter Sunday, nineteen eighty-seven, being in my grandmother's backyard listening on the radio. So I think there's probably Brewers fans all over the place who are going to have this memory of of this uh, crazy game, whether they're listening or watching somewhere at a family gathering. And I I absolutely love moments like that. So Victor Caratini and Brad Boxberger, I, I think, gave fans a, a great memory yesterday. Yeah, and one thing that's been talked about a little bit, but Victor Caratini comes up big against his first team. 
you know, and I mean, there's a bunch of amazing things, storylines that you could go with that. I mean, he wears the golden sombrero coming into that four strikeouts. He comes up, you know, against his former team. You know, they need a big hit and boom, walk off Homer. There's so many different things that just are amazing stories in that one at bat. And I think that is what's amazing about baseball, right? It's like you can have all these little micro stories <laughs> and go a thousand directions. Well, I, I love that the 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 young man, uh, Joey Polizzi from MLB.com, he he works in Chicago for us. And he, he's people have probably seen his byline a couple times because he pops up here when I'm away. And he tied it together, I thought, beautifully, because the story of the day was kind of Eric Lauer for a lot of the day for the Brewers because he's he had a big bounce back that they really need. And the rotation is kind of coming together for them right now, which is a good thing in terms of health. And if Lauer can kind of get back on track – but then it changed, obviously, with the end of the game. But Lauer, it turns out, coming full circle, was one of the couple of guys who called the homer. So I thought Joey did a great job. And uh, you can go to Brewers.com and read his uh, account. We could spend 45 minutes talking about all the stories, I think, that happened, too. Because like Tim said, I thought the interesting thing was Keston. If it's a half inch lower of a bounce, you might have another inside, a park, <laughs> inside the park home run off that because it was almost the same angle as Seiya's double or that, what would have been a double that turned into an inside the park home run because of how it bounced off the wall. And part of that is Jonathan Davis is still getting familiar with playing the American Family Field center field. But it, it's just one of those amazing circumstances where you had the high drama then of a couple of Arguably missed calls against Willie Adamas with the bases loaded. Jace Peterson, yeah. too. There were some balls out of the zone. There were some balls out of the zone. The last, like, three innings, Empire was just like, like he was just closing his eyes and Jesus take the wheel moment on some of those pitches. And you're like, those are the biggest moments in the game and you're blowing it. But I, I want to address the golden sombrero just from the mental side as a player. You have four strikeouts in a game. All you want to do is you want redemption. You're like, you know, th each each at bat separate, right? Like you just, well, I just missed this. I was looking for this. But when you start looking back, you're like four strikeouts. Like you're, you're going, man, I'm better than this. I need redemption. And in one of those at bats, it was after a, a, a leadoff double. So he had a chance to get a guy over to third uh, for a chance to score. Couldn't get that done. Uh, it comes up in the big moment and being able to just push all of that aside and have a clear minded at bat. Uh, is a testament to Caratini because, you know, he started out at first base and he's not a natural first baseman. He did that for part of the game and then jumped behind uh, home plate. And shout out to Jace Peterson for playing first and then going to third and then going to right field. So games like that are truly amazing. And for him to have that moment, there was about 15 things that had to go weird to get to that moment. So I'm <laughs> thankful for all the weird stuff. Mm -hmm. I think on top of it, uh, one other thing that I wanted to mention was after that umpire situation with Willie, Willie gets into an argument at home plate. And something I don't know if a lot of people were thinking about, but has like sat in my mind was, you know, he's arguing balls and strikes. And with the right umpire there, it seems like they have a, a cordial conversation. The umpire's like, I understand. And Willie goes his separate ways. Other umpires throw him out immediately in that situation because there's, you know, extra stress from the situation themselves. And if Willie gets tossed, 
the only other person on the bench at that moment because of how Craig used his bench is Omar. So you're looking at potentially a Victor Caratini infield, not first base situation. Uh, I know I've seen him take a little, a few grounders at shortstop. I imagine not there, but so that's another (laughs) very interesting thing that could have been another wrinkle in this as a hypothetical of thankfully Willie could have a calm conversation with an umpire about a stressful situation. Well, you know, the umpire knows this, right? He keeps a little card. He knows who's in the dugout and he knows he could, he could go all in and make this a terrible scene. But Brian Anderson brought up on the broadcast. He was like, he waited. He knows it's a televised game. He knew it. He waited till it went to commercial, knowing that enough time had passed to come out and then have a cordial conversation about it. If you're going to go and do that, that's the right call. Screaming at the guy <laughs> right after you strike out, that'll get you run. So, um, you know, props to both sides because sometimes you do have to have that conversation. It's interesting too because was it Boxberger came out and threw a borderline pitch, like literally the next pitch that was thrown, and it was called a ball. So you're just like, maybe Willie shouldn't have said anything. <laughs> <laughs> it ended up not mattering, but still, like in those big moments, you start taking the bat out of guys' hands. I mean, I'm a, it's it's pretty cool for Adamas to address it the way he did. That was pro. All right, Tim, I want to uh, pick your brain about one last thing. Ooh. No one's ever said Wilson that. Contreras gets up. <laughs> and I think as a Brewers fan and probably most Brewers fans are ready for him to make us pay. I, I'm just like, okay, Wilson Contreras it has nothing to do with Brad Boxberger, but Wilson Contreras always comes up in big moments against Brewers fans. But that sequence that Brad Boxberger worked against him was like otherworldly. I think it goes slider bottom and out of the zone change up bottom and out of the zone fastball high it was such a beautiful sequence and he gets the strikeout there which i think is almost as big as the following strikeout against ian happ uh like i i guess as a pitching analyst kind of how big is that moment on we talk about the final strikeout but how big is it to get easily the cubs best hitter in a moment like that with that sequence all three of your pitches working like that well, it was the biggest moment in the game. Bases loaded. Tenth uh, inning, you got one out, and here comes Wilson Contreras, who, you know, is the Brewers' favorite Cub, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, are you kidding? This guy, who who also leads all of Major League Baseball in getting hit by the pitch. Uh, a lot of times, no, he's no, all it's only a Brewer dish. problem, Tim. Yeah, it's only a Brewer yeah. problem. I mean, probably ten of those are Brewers, you know, hit by pitches. I don't know, but he's all over the dish. He tries to make the dish go away, and Boxberger has to make a decision: Is this guy going to try to play hero, or is he going to, you know, pull the Statue of Liberty play and stand there? That, so, as a pitcher, you have to go. Okay, if he's aggressive, or if he's going to be patient, you have to make a decision. And first pitch, he decided, you know what, he's going to be aggressive at this ball, so I'm going to throw a changeup down. It was a changeup first pitch. And what's he do? He comes out of his shoes swinging. So what do you do? You chase the last bad swing. He goes change up down again, even lower. And his changeup was filthy, by the way, yesterday. There were a lot of filthy changeups all across that game. Uh, and what's he do? Contreras swings at it again and misses. And so now he can go a lot of different ways. He can go change up even lower. He can go fastball up. And he could just see that Contreras in that moment is a professional hitter. You have a man on third, less than two outs. What are you trying to do? He's trying to hit the ball as far as he can to get a sack fly. Uh, if he hits the ball on the ground, it's a double play. He knows that. So he's trying to get the ball in the air. What do you do? You try to make your swing, right? Adjust it. Try to hit up. Try to elevate. So that's what Boxberger does. You the fastball at the top of the zone. There's no way he can try to hit a ball down and 
hit a fastball up. So that, I mean, it was a beautiful sequence as a pitcher. I'm sitting there. That's why my voice is hoarse. I was like, throw a heater up, heater up. I was like, yeah, <laughs> it was awesome. I, I mean, I know it's, you know, it gets overlooked because of all the home runs and cool stuff, but uh, that right there was just the, the biggest sequence in the game. Adam, what was your reaction from your parents' porch as box burgers working at Contreras? I took a sip of my bourbon press. <laughs> Mom, the meatloaf. <laughs> we want it now. <laughs> no, so, my dad grilled chicken, yeah. just for the record. No meatloaf. All right. No grilled chicken on the 4th of July. Sounds like a pretty good day. <laughs> a lot of detail about the McCalvey holiday. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> Pedro Severino. Works his first game as a brewer, works behind the dish, plays a big part with a clutch double, puts the Brewers on the board with their first run, ties the game. You know, I think the Brewers are in an interesting situation. We got to peek into how they're going to handle his time going forward. But Adam, what should we expect with his return to the lineup? Uh, if there is a lefty in, I think you'll see him a lot. Um, Caratini also has done a good job with that as a switch hitter. But uh, Pedro Severino hits lefties. And they're going to try to use his bat somewhere against the lefty, whether it's catching, designated hitter. And then, you know, down in the minors, he tooled around at first base a little bit. And, you know, the, the report was that he caught everything thrown at him. So if you're playing first base, that's uh, a good place to start. I don't know how much we'll see that, but it's it's an option, even if it's a later in the game sort of situation. So they're going to have to uh, find a way to mix him in. He's a guy that they signed for his bat. Uh, and they're going to try to use it a little bit. But I'll, I'll say this again, and I've written it, and we've talked about it. By rule, he's ineligible for the postseason. So Victor Caratini... Was oh, that important to this team? Uh, well, they could potentially make the postseason. They're in first place right now, uh, Brad. <laughs> no. I've been looking Whoa. at the standings. And uh, that's, you know, Caratini has done a great job. When you look at, you know, weighted runs created plus is this measure of offense that we really, that us nerds, as Brad said, really like because it accounts for a lot of different things, most notably ballpark effects. So it's a really good way to get a close to apples to apples comparison of hitters from different teams. And Victor Caratini is one of the Brewers' most productive hitters by that measure. And they put him in good spots to succeed, and he has come up for them in the in the limited role that he's played. So he's going to continue to play a really important part, and they have to have him catch a lot because he's going to be important in that department. And they just have to, as Craig Council said, get creative and find spots to slot Severino in, and, and like I said, that's going to be against lefties mostly. Yeah, and Craig Council has never been good at being creative with a lineup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Were you guys satisfied with what Severino? You know, we, we got a chance to talk to Severino for the first time. I don't know if you guys saw it in Pittsburgh. Oh, I watched. I watched uh, Carlos Brizuela did yeah. a great job. In, Were you satisfied uh, with Severino's uh, mea culpa and just sort of explanation? That maybe is a better word for it. Uh, I think maybe trying not to be too much of a fan or like a homer about it, but I think he deserves more benefit of the doubt because of it being the lockout and it being a difficult situation for players going through like a medical situation and harder, like you can't communicate with your team and you need help. And, you know, especially when your English is your second language and you don't maybe speak it fluently um, like uh, Pedro, does not um I, I i just see a lot of situations there where normally i'm a, i'm quick to kind of <laughs> judge people it can be one of my kind of personality flaws but i i really give them the benefit of the doubt there because it was such a tough situation this off season specifically yeah he i think he did a good job by saying i made him i messed up i made a mistake 
he, you know, he didn't shy away from that. He didn't skip over that part of it. Yeah, he's he said, owned this it. is his error. Yeah, he's owned. Yeah, it, it, there's, so, a, look, he there's a certain level of you get to where you, you're held accountable for whatever you put into your body. Right, we're at a day and age now where if you put something strange in there, you have to know that there could be a positive test in some regard, yeah. regardless of what it is. Like they they told us probably 15 years ago when they started regulating a lot of this stuff, they said you can't even go to, you know, what is it, GNC at the mall, which was huge back then, and it was like you can't take anything because it counts as a supplement. And it doesn't have to regulate what's on the label. It could say one thing on the label and it could have something totally different inside. And there's no repercussions on the manufacturer side. So guys were going and taking stuff in the off season and then they come back and they were popped and they were like, well, I went to GNC and they're like, you can't do that. It's like, well, I read all the ingredients and like, we can't do that either. It's not certified. So there's a certain level, especially if you get to the big leagues, like you're just, you're held accountable. That's, I'm not going to have a way in. I don't know the situation. I don't, I don't know him. So there's a certain level of you are held accountable for whatever you put in your body. If it's not super regulated, then you're always at risk. Tim, did it even get to the point at one time early where they were like, be careful about what energy drinks, like get your energy drink from the clubhouse or am I making that up? Um, I mean, there's a certain, like every organization years ago called everybody in and was like, okay, you can't take anything. It has to be NSF approved. Yeah. And people started with saying, well, what about energy drinks. And they're like, well, those things are go under with the food, the food and drug administration. So some of that stuff's okay. Um, but if it's going under as a supplement, you know, and you make the drink that changes kind of how it looks. Does that make sense? Got it. Like you're, if you're opening yeah, a yeah. can, that's one thing, but if you're putting it in a drink and stirring it or putting it in a blender, uh, then, then that can have different effects because it counts as a supplement rather than, uh, whatever the other one is <laughs> nutrition facts. And that's strange. Yeah. All right. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Well, before this turns into a pitch for the best supplements and uh, which are FDA approved and the problem with FDA approval of supplements, let's talk about Brandon Woodruff, because since coming off the IL, he's been the Brandon Woodruff we all expected coming into the season. Just, Don't you mean since he was on the podcast? Ooh. Well, yeah, since he was on the podcast, it's the one good thing the podcast has done, because really we've done a lot of bad when you go back and look at things we've said and the <laughs> results that happen afterward. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, Tim, what's impressed you about his return? For me, it's been his fastball. It's got to be fastball, but changeup's been good, too. He had a lot of uh, swings and misses on changeup last time out. He threw 19 of them, uh, which I think was a season high. Ten swings, eight misses. Uh, but he hasn't walked anybody. I think Woodruff, when he struggles, he gets away from what makes it really good. His fastball's good, and it's really his two-seamer that's come on this last 11 innings pitched and the two starts, no uh, one run. Because um, when you're throwing a good sinker and a guy gets a good swing on it, your first instinct on the next hitter is to go, you know what, I got to do something else. And we saw this in Tampa where he threw a good sinker, gave up a double, and then he went back to it, ended up giving up a single that scored a run, but he still did well. If you try to do something different and get out of your comfort zone and you know throw your third best pitch at that moment, that could be a two-run homer. And he carried that over into his last start, and that was kind of what you saw. You saw just sinkers down at the bottom of the zone just crushing in on, on hitters, and, and that's really tough. And it, the changeup plays when that sinker is having that kind of movement. So he's, he's been phenomenal, and he hasn't deviated from what kind of pitcher he is, which at times we saw him do it in the past. Me, I, you know, to me, it's the no walks, the most impressive thing. Um, 
that's huge. It's uh, he's given he gave up some hits in his last start, but because he hadn't walked anybody, they didn't. He was able to get out of it scoreless, and um, that's I think really impressive after a month long layoff. Uh, Chris Hook said that Brandon Woodruff because that that rain odds got better um, after it first flared up. It kind of like progressively got better and better. He was able to do a fair amount of throwing, especially towards the end, and that really helped get Woodruff in a in a good place where he hit the ground running instead of hit the ground sort of, you know, working back. Aaron Ashby kind of came back cold, right? Because he didn't go pitch anywhere. He was just coming off some bullpens. So it's a different situation, I think, than where Brandon Woodruff was at. So I think, you know, they'll look for Ashby to get stronger as he gets a couple of starts as he comes back. And the other best thing that came up after Brandon Woodruff's outing in Pittsburgh is that Chris Hook told us Freddie Peralta's off a mound in Arizona. So Lots of hurdles for him, long way to go for him. But, uh, Tim, you know, you get off a mound, that's a huge, a huge step for a pitcher coming back from something. It means that you are now on a, you can sort of circle some dates on the calendar. And I think that's big for a guy's mental well-being to have some, uh, some lights at the, you know, along the way in the tunnel. Well, the, yeah, that is, that's the goal. Hey, I, can I throw off the bump? Anytime you're out in spring training or extended spring training or, you know, whatever it is, and, and guys are injured, uh, the biggest buzz is when do I get to throw off the mound? Like that right there is kind of the the baseline. Okay, as soon as you can get off the bump, then things start happening. You know, you, you'll get a good sense on how guys feel, um, their recovery time, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, that's encouraging. I think one thing I want to go back to is I want to talk about Brandon Woodruff for forever, but he just simply has been lights out and it's great. But he's a fun guy. We hope to have him back on the pod and we'll let him talk more about, you know, why he's better. But looking at how they handled Aaron Ashby, I thought was very interesting because they end up having to throw a couple of their starter alternates out there in Chichi Gonzalez and Jason Alexander during games that week, which then kind of forces the need that, you know, really Aaron Ashby is needed there. Whereas you look at how they've handled injuries otherwise, and they've gone really slow. They, you know, they've forced guys who maybe don't need rehab appearances into rehab appearances. And I think part of that is last year they dealt with a lot of lingering injuries that I think are kind of what they place the blame on for having that offensive slump in late September. And they want to ensure that if they have an injury, it just gets healed. So they're giving guys plenty of time, and then they're giving them time to you know, go and play and heal up and get back up to full strength. However, I think the you look at the Ashby situation, and it's unfortunate for him because really they just need a body on the mound, and he's eligible to come off IL. He's doing her. He's feeling better again. So I really think that's a situation where kind of the fate sealed him into coming in cold. Right? It wasn't necessarily that. Uh, that that was the plan, but based on everything they had to do leading up to that moment, it kind of forced their hand. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I would agree with that, Brad. I, they could have. They had pitchers. They had they had Alexander and Gonzalez to fill that start if Ashby needed the time. I, to me, it's more a sign that his he was just feeling good. Like he left that start, but then very soon after that, he was feeling good again. Yeah. And they they had made the IL move out of caution. Um. You know, I, I, they are trying to avoid, as you said, you're 100% right. They're trying to avoid the long-term absence. Um, and they're maybe frustrating some fans by being cautious with players. 
But it's like sometimes I think, okay, fans get frustrated when they're cautious with players, but then fans also get frustrated when guys get hurt. So they're trying to avoid – those right. two things are well, related, and they're trying to avoid the, the month Imagine if you had four Hunter Renfro situations where, yeah, you bad. know, a guy comes on off the IL, then right back on. Yeah. Yeah, he's going slow, by the way. I talked to him in Pittsburgh, and there's not a lot happening there. So they're they're being uh, pretty careful. It sounded like yes, uh, yesterday there was some encouraging progress for him. Um, but I think they're being pretty careful with that one because, it, again, it's a leg, and you want a guy's legs under him. And missing his bat's big. Getting his right-handed bat back would be important, and they want to get it back and then stay back. Tim, how hard is it to do a, come back to a game situation after a two-week layoff? Like, how hard is it to just go full steam again? Well, I, you know, luckily my selling point throughout my career was I never missed a game due to injury. I just missed a game because I was on the phantom DL. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't injured. I just wasn't good enough to be on the team at that moment. So there was times where I would sit for two weeks. I'd walk in the clubhouse and the manager would come up and be like, hey, you're starting today. I'm like, okay. Like, there's a certain level of, man, I'm excited. I'm, I'm, you know, they're letting me, you know, freedom. I get to run out there. But at the same time, it's like, am I prepared to run out there? Because you're facing hitters that, you know, they all they want to do is just mash the ball as hard as they can. And and it's like, you don't want to go out there and, and not feel like you're super confident in what you're doing. That's tough, you know, and borderline dangerous at times. But um, I think the biggest thing is you just rely on your foundation. Uh, Ashby going out there and Throwing the fastball, letting the two-seamer eat is probably the best thing. Uh, go out there and just have one simple thing. Maybe it's keep the ball down, or maybe it's execute your, you know, your slider. But if you try to ha- go out there thinking that you're, you know, opening day ready, that's just not feasible. You go out there, you pick a couple of weapons, and that's what you run with. All right. Well, we need to get to break, but when we return, we have an exclusive interview with Brewers general manager Matt Arnold. We're going to talk to him about some big things with the trade deadline coming up and some big life moments. Stick around to hear it. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we're back since our last episode. Adam McAlvey tracked down and cornered Matt Arnold and said, Matt, I am not letting you leave until you come in the podcast. And Matt said, please, Adam, I have to go get coffee. There's a big thing happening, and if you don't let me go, this transaction's never going to happen. Well, the transaction never happened because Adam trapped him. So that's the reason that, you know, big things aren't in motion, is Adam kept Matt Arnold off of a couple phone calls. And Adam, can you live with that guilt? Uh, These are all lies. I actually walked into his suite in Pittsburgh, and he was on the phone with another team, like trade deadline conversations, but uh, I didn't get any good details. So that was a bummer, but it was, it was a good example that this stuff is happening. Well, the stuff's happening. We know this team is always talking because they'll make trades whenever, but Adam, you have a a few fun conversation tidbits with Matt. You talked to him about, you know, his start in baseball Mm -hmm. uh, and kind of what, how you can get really rewarded for working from literally the lowest spot on the totem pole 
and eventually become second to the top. Well, I love that you can learn, you know, we've known Matt Arnold for a while and I learned something about him that he was the guy holding those big numbers during the crazy cap shuffle, you know, where the fan has to pick the right answer. I love it. Yes. Uh, You know, everyone's favorite scoreboard game. Matt Arnold was the man behind the magic in L.A., but we'll stop teasing it and we'll get to Adam's sit down hostage interview with Matt Arnold. Well, I am here in the palatial general manager, visiting general manager's suite at PNC Park with Mr. Matt Arnold, the pride of Bakersfield, California, graduate graduate of UC Santa Barbara, the Gauchos. And I actually learned this this morning, the 10th general manager in Brewers history. I don't know if I would have guessed that there were 10. So my first question for you, Matt, because we're going to keep this fun and easy is, uh, please name each of the first nine general managers in order. <laughs> I know David Stearns. Um, I know Doug Melvin, Harry Dalton. Right? There's a lot, a lot of good, good names beyond that. You know, I, I got to go check the history books. I mean, I, I've I've heard great things about a lot of these guys, and obviously the guys that I named are are, are legendary. So I'm I'm fortunate to be in in this line here. Well, I'm joking, and I promise not to put you on the spot too too much more than that. Um, let's set the scene, Matt. As I said, we're sitting at PNC Park. It's Sunday morning. The Brewers are about to play game number 81, which means it's all downhill from here in terms of the regular season. Just from the 40,000-foot view, how do you see the season so far? Where do you see the team? Yeah, I, th- I think we're in a really good spot. I mean, obviously, we've, we've battled some injuries along the way, right? I think that's been the number one thing, but um, we're still in a good spot. I mean, we really feel good about the club where we are, and um, you know, I think it speaks to the depth that we've, we've accumulated here and, and the guys that have been able to step up, and so... Um, yeah, I mean, uh, the guys on the field have done a great job. And so what, what we're looking at in the second half is being a really competitive team the rest of the way. We know the Cardinals are going to be tough, uh, but we feel good about how, how we're going to be able to compete with them uh, the rest of the way. Here's, Matt, why I'm really excited that you agreed to do this, because I think from the fans' point of view, when they think about, like, the baseball calendar, you think about, to me, it kind of goes back to, like, December, winter meetings. Teams are building themselves. Now it's pushing later. So, like, January is way more busy February, start of spring training. March is sort of hard of spring training. Opening day. I think they think of July as kind of like the lull. That This is, I'm putting thoughts in the, in the minds of fans here, but I, I think maybe fans think July is kind of a quiet period. Can you explain to me what July really is like in the front office? Um, it's, uh, I don't, a rodeo is not the right term, but it's, there's a, there's a lot going on and it's a, it's sometimes you do feel like you're riding a bull. Um, but it's, but it's a ton of fun. I mean, really that's, that's why we do this. I mean, it's just, it's fun to be involved with so many different things in our, in our organization and and do what we can to just get better in every space. Right. And so that's super rewarding for me. Um, and, and all the guys that work here, I mean, that's, that's the best part. So there, there's a ton of stuff that's going on right now from player development is in full steam full steam ahead. Uh, obviously our major league team has roster moves we have to make every day. We have the draft coming up. So everyone is working hard on the draft to be prepared there. Um, international scouting, there's it's draft day every day internationally. Right. So, so we're, we're signing guys there as you know, to the extent we can. Um, and so there's, there's always something going on. And so it's, it, it keeps it a lot of fun. And then obviously the trade deadline coming up. So, uh, making phone calls like I did when you walked in here, you know, is, is, is what we're doing there. So it's just, it's one thing after another right now. And so, it is a little, a little bit of a rodeo, like I said, but it's also a lot of fun. What's happening right now in the draft? Can you explain for fans, um, the draft now has been moved to All-Star week, Weekend, basically. Day one, the first round, happens Sunday night. 
taking away a lot of the coverage of this celebrity softball game, which is always like one of my favorite events. Uh, no, but Sunday's first round and then the two days after that. Um, what's happening now in the front office as you guys prepare for that? So we've had, we've had a number of meetings with our scouts, and, and Todd Johnson's leading all of that. Our, our scouting director is, is, uh, is tremendous, and so we're, we're having a ton of meetings, a lot of Zoom calls. You know, we learned how to Zoom over, uh, over COVID, and so how we connect, I think in a lot of ways has actually helped um, bring us together and have conversations. We have scouts all over the country that are connecting with players, still evaluating players. Um, you know, putting our lists together. And so we want to try to get these guys in the right order. And, and that's really tough to do. And, and I think the draft is so fascinating in that way where you see other industries where, you know, they have these mock drafts for the NBA or the NFL. And there's generally some consensus around what that kind of looks like. When you get to the major league draft, it's usually like the first one or two picks and then every board, everybody's board is different, right? And so there's so much divergence in this industry in a really cool way that nobody certainly has this this figured out, this draft thing figured out, right? So it's a ton of fun. I mean, I, I love being in the room with it uh, and being a part of it, but um, you know, Todd's the guy uh, ultimately that's gonna make the decision on all these things. And so we have a ton of meetings going right now and it's it's fun to be part of those. Matt, do you get to get out and see players? I know Todd's out. The scouts are obviously out. David occasionally will get out and see a guy. Doug used to, Doug Melvin used to occasionally get out and see you guys. I know, I forget which Brewers draft pick. There's like a picture of one of the Brewers picks. And Doug was like in the background, which gave a clue that the Brewers are on this guy. Do, do you get to get out to fields and see guys? Yeah, I, I do. I, I didn't get to see any amateur guys this year, but uh, I have a lot in the past. Uh, I love doing that as well, especially with some of the, the international guys, um, you know, and for the draft. And so we've we've had a ton of those types of guys, um, you know, when I've, I've gone out and seen players in the draft that have, have been great and others that, that haven't panned out. And so it's a lot of fun to be part of that. How hard is it to draft? Like, uh, you know, I think, again, I put myself in the fans' shoes Sometimes it gets, it, it's frustrating, and this happens for all teams where you pick a guy, the team's really high on him, and some players just, they don't pan out as professional players despite all the work you put in. I mean, it, it feels from the outside like there is some crapshoot element to it. Is there? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I'd be the first to admit that. I, I also think, you know, we've, we've changed how we draft players than what we used to do. You know, I, I think it's funny, like in the first round, uh, of the draft, we would all be in there with, you know, shirt and tie for the first pick and everyone's seated very neatly like a classroom. By the second round, everybody's ties a little looser. By the third round, you got guys standing up in the back. And, you know, by the fourth and fifth round, you know, guys are taking their shirt off arguing, right? And so it's just, you know, it's just, you never know, right? And I, I think that, you know, that's kind of how it was in the past, which is still a lot of fun, right? Uh, but it's also different now where we have a lot more information. There's objective information. We also have a ton of scouting views where, in the past, it was, it was you know, you had your West Coast guy and you had your East Coast guy, and they'd argue kind of over each other about the guy that neither one of them had each seen. And so, you know, now we have video and ways we can kind of collaborate and, and uh, you know, get more cross-pollination, I think, with our evaluations. And so that, that's been a, a lot better. And so we have, we have less of the, the chair throwing, so to speak, in the draft room where it's, it's less emotion and, and more like, hey, we've had a little bit better process kind of throughout. So... Matt, in your travels, and and I should say I skipped this sort of in your bio. You've you've been with a you you've had experience with a lot of teams. You're you're an extremely young guy. Uh, have you t- forty three in the media guide? Still forty three? Yeah, it, I, I think something around that area. <laughs> <laughs> but but you've worked for the Dodgers, for the Rangers, for the Reds, for the Rays, and the Brewers. Have, am I missing a? No, that's it. So, so 
and, and especially with the Rays, there was a lot of player development in, involved. Um, are there any players that you just feel attached to that you're willing to share that you just saw very, very young and they came up that you just sort of are going to love forever? I mean, all of them, honestly. Like, I hate to say that. I mean, I'm not trying to, to, to pick. But like when you, when you meet these kids as youngsters, um, and you get to know them and you get to know their families and you get to know their story. I mean, that's what it's all about. You know, that's so cool. And, and you get to see these guys when they come up. I mean, a guy I think about just, you know, here, honestly, is Willie Adamas, you know, that kind of player, you know, having known him when he was young, obviously with Tampa and then here, that's just one. But I mean, there are so many different guys that you get to know and even the guys that don't make it, you know, and then they become next thing, you know, you see them as a scout for another team or it's a, you know, a front office guy or um, Cole Figueroa is a guy with the, with the Rays that, when he was a player, he started talking to me about, um, you know, coding and systems and things like that. And I thought he was joking, honestly, as a player. He was he had his batting helmet on. And he was sitting behind the cage and he's talking about, um, you know, things we do in the front office. And turns out he's a big time part of the Rays front office now. You know, it's 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 guys like that um, that, you know, you, you remember. And, and even if they're not impactful big leaguers long term, they're guys that just have great stories and they're good people. And so that's what it's all about. How old was Willie Adamas, if you had to guess, when you first met him? Gosh, he was probably 17 or 18, somewhere in there. I mean, he was a young kid, you know, I mean, we traded for him. And that was a big part of it, right? He was a really young guy for, for where he was and, um, you know, talented guy, even going back to when he was an amateur, you know. So, um, yeah, he's and, and he's the same guy, right? Same great energy, winning player, you know, just a ton of fun and, and uh, a big part of why we've had a lot of success here. I, w- I want to ask you about... 17, 18 year old Matt Arnold eventually. But but I also want to ask you because you mentioned it earlier, the next event on the baseball calendar that fans love, everybody loves, is the trade deadline, obviously. I know that the draft comes first and teams are seem all very focused on the draft, and maybe that slows down like action as far as the trade uh, deadline goes. But how do you look at like the last two weeks, the last week of July as that deadline is coming? And I mean, I would think when you like were a kid thinking about, oh, being in the baseball front office, that's probably like the week of the year that you think about, right? That's got to be one of the most fun times. Yeah, I mean, we, we all, you know, we all made our lists, right, as, as kids, or at least I did. You know, I was writing down these lists of, you know, the players that I wanted to, to have on my, on my team, you know, and, and I think my mom still has them somewhere in my room at home, you know, just these, the, the, all these kind of scratch notes all over the place. But yeah, I mean, that that's what you, you, you scratch up as a kid and, and to be able to do that now. And obviously with a ton of people and a ton of help, really, I mean, that's what it's, it's everybody else. And it's so many really good inputs that we have into our, into our process here and great people, you know, that's, that's what it's all about. And working with those guys um, to try to make the team better. I mean, that's what it's about. And, and, and ultimately trying to deliver a championship for Milwaukee. I know everyone's been, uh, been dying for that here and we, we were doing everything we can to deliver that. So there's like proprietary information. So you'll just have to tell me where we can't get into. But I'm interested more in the process of trade deadline time. Um, because as you say, there's a lot of people involved in the front office that, are, that have been in with the Brewers for a, you know, a long And if I start naming them, I'll miss people. But, you know, it's Carl Muller, Matt Klein, Scott Campbell. There's, uh, again, I did what I wasn't said I wasn't going to do. And I'm sorry to everyone who I didn't name because there's a ton. But like... What can you tell us about like how that process works? You know, you can sort of see, okay, a team has a need for X position. How does it get from there to actually figuring out which of the 29 teams has a guy that could fit and then has a match? Like, 
how does the brainstorming work? It's a great question. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's um, a, a lot of it. Honestly, is conversations and relationships with other teams. I mean, that's probably where it starts, right? And just having been around now for a little over 20 years, you, you just develop relationships with other people in other organizations and, and just see what fits, right? And, and ultimately, when you make uh, trades, ideally, they're great for both sides, right? I think that the Adamas trade like, is, is one of those, right? Where it works out great for Tampa, it works out for us, and, and everybody comes out better, right? Th those are good baseball trades. And I think when you have relationships with the other organizations, it, it allows you that freedom to sort of have that conversation. It's not just a stiff, like, hey, how's it going? you know, what are you looking for? It's like, hey, how's your family doing? How's everything going? But also, like, there happen to be needs for both sides that make sense, right? And so having those types of conversations that can start casually but also grow into something that can help the organization is, is really probably where those starts. And, and then, you know, how it all comes together, I mean, it's still, it's still probably an evolution in process, honestly. Like, we're still trying to figure out what the best way is to assimilate all this information because now I think people, more and more teams have access to data. You know, before it wasn't, you know, it, it's like, how do we access the data? Now almost everybody has the data. You guys see it on, on TV and, and you see it in the news. And so now it's like, how do, we, how do we choose what's the most important information here? And not just objective information, also subjective. So what's this kind of player like? What is, how is he going to fit in our clubhouse? What does that fit for? How does that work for Craig? You know, I, I, we all have a lot of conversations. David and I have a lot of conversations with Craig about what does this fit like? How, do, how does that feel for him? Um, and what, you know, how would he use these types of players? So there's so many ingredients here that, uh, we're still trying to work through, honestly, that it is not a science with how we bring everything together, but it's a collaboration with all the people that you mentioned. Where's the limit of who can propose a trade? Like <laughs> if, uh, who can I, I'm trying to think of somebody who I can name. If, uh, if you, if you has a trade idea. And he comes to you and says, Matt, you know, I really like uh, so-and-so from, from Boston. I think there's a deal to be made here. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, who in the organization, how many people in the organization have the, uh, the ability to, to say, hey, Matt or David, here's an idea? I mean, everybody, right? I mean, we're, we're open-minded. I mean, we want to hear ideas from everybody. I get them from my dad. I get them from Euchre. I get them from uh, some of the dads on the, the, my son's baseball team were, were asking me some, the other day if they, if they were open to some ideas. I said, sure, right? Like, wherever these come from, it doesn't matter, right? I, I want good ideas. I think that's what we're looking for. Um, and it's hard. I mean, sometimes you get stuck in a rut. And so it is kind of fun to brainstorm with other people. And uh, whether that's talking with, uh, you know, a security guard or, or my dad or, or, or David Stearns, right? Or, or Mark Atanasio, right? Like, it, like, ideas are great wherever they come from. And so, you know, just trying to pull those together. Um, and then ask for things that sometimes aren't offensive, right? That's, that's a balance too. Cause when you're, when you're asking for something, you don't want to offend the other side either. So it's, it's kind of a balance of how you introduce those types of things as well. Uh, but I think, like I said, if you have the type of relationships with, with other teams and other people that, you know, you can have those kind of conversations a little more casually and then, or, you know, they organically grow into, um, ultimately a trade at the end of the day. And like, if you had to guess a percentage of like talks that gets that, that, have legs, let's say. What percentage of those talks actually turn into a trade? One uh, percent, maybe. It's it's maybe two percent. It's it's low, right? I mean, we we have conversations all the time, right? And it's um, in, in a good way, right? We want to stay on the pulse of the market. What that what that looks like? Who's available? Who's not available? Um, so we're having these all the time, but but very you know very rarely do they come together. And so it's it's a lot of work and that nobody really sees, which is which is fine. That's why we're here. 
but we want to make sure we're on top of the market. But but yeah, I'd say very the, the, the number's really low. <laughs> I've said this before to Doug Melvin because as you know, time goes by and he gets further away from say his early years as GM. He can tell us a little more about like some of the talks they had that didn't happen because the players are out of game. I can't ask you that because everybody's probably still in the game. But I've told him that would be the best book idea. A book of trade talks that say, you know, really got down the road and then didn't happen and kind of the what if. Uh, I don't know if I, you want, I don't know if you have any that you can talk about yet, but, but I would say start making a list because someday I think this would be a bestseller. I think, I mean, the, the biggest, you know, was Tim Dillard. Obviously, we were we were looking to to acquire and and uh, and get Dilly, and and here he is. He's still here, and so we're happy to have him. That's been the best acquisition for sure. In all seriousness, Matt, how how good was it to have a guy pitched seventy two years in professional baseball? And you guys did like what he did down there to keep the, obviously what he did on the mound uh, for for your AAA club, but but keep guys light, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Having guys like that around, especially that when, you know, you, you want to have a lot of fun here in this game. And that's why we all got into this game is to have fun. Right. And, and, and be a part of a game we love. And so clearly Dilly loves this game as much as anybody on, on the planet Earth. And so he's a great representative of our sport. And so to have that kind of guy around is awesome. I'm thrilled that he's still with the organization. Did you ever get in a Tim Dillard video? Because David did. David was in that good SNL title scene spoof. Not made it in a video yet, but um, you can give him some grief about that. But no, I, I'm perfectly fine um, staying off the radar <laughs> for that kind of stuff. But I do love the videos; those are awesome. Um, Matt, I appreciate you answering all that. I really want to learn a little bit more about your background because I, I think this is true of you and David. You guys never want to be the story; you always just want to, you know, make the moves. But can you tell me and, and fans sort of about your baseball origin story? Um, how far you got, whether you ever had like major league dreams um, and, and where you pivoted to thinking about like, yeah, maybe the front office is where I'm going to make my mark. Yeah. I mean, I, I was a, a mediocre player at best. Right. And so um, quickly realized that I wasn't going to be able to, to stay on the field. I'm, I'm a, a, a slow twitch guy just in general. And so um, probably wasn't going to, especially as the guys get bigger and more physical. So it just, it wasn't going to work, uh, but I tried hard, you know, as much as I could and then started kind of figuring out, um, hey, there, there's another pathway here potentially to do some stuff in the front office. And I didn't even know what that was. Honestly, I was just like I remember I met with um, Tony Regans when he was the, the, the farm director with the Angels before he became the general manager there. And I met with him one time in Anaheim and, and he asked me just what like, what do you want to do? in baseball. And I didn't even know, I didn't even know there were, there were different verticals in the baseball operations department. Right. I was just like, I'll do anything. You know, I was just one of those guys. It's like, you put me in there and I'll try to figure it out. And that was sort of my MO as I'm just going to put myself in play here to the extent that I can. Um, and I learned a lot quickly that there are all these other departments in baseball operations and there are all, all these different ways to help. Um, so I started as an intern with the Dodgers back in 2000 and, um, you know, I had to commute from Santa Barbara 100 miles each way. And that was that was quite a quite a journey. I don't know if I could do that again. Um, and then went to, to the dot or I'm sorry, from the Dodgers to the Rangers, um, where I, I worked with a ton of great people and John Hart and John Daniels, Dan O'Brien, um, you know, Oral Hershiser was our pitching coach and Rudy uh, Aramio, our uh, our hitting coach and just a lot of great people. Terry Francona was our bench coach. 
Um, so just a, a ton of great people and just, just was put myself, like I said, in play and around these guys just to listen and just learn from great baseball people, um, you know, and, and put in the time to, to do that. And then, you know, when I, when I, I ended up there, they offered me a full-time job, but it didn't have benefits. And so we had Alex Rodriguez and I figured like, man, it'd be great if we could just get benefits as part of this, but that's okay. You know, <laughs> probably not going to be a thing, but I had a job there. Um, and then ended up going to the winter meetings and, and, uh, sleeping on John Daniels floor, uh, at the winter meetings and, and ended up getting an offer, uh, from the Cincinnati Reds as a full-time job. That was my first full-time, full-time gig. And, and it was awesome. I was so pumped. I remember I played some heavy metal song, um, uh, you know, when I first got this job and I was just jumping around like crazy, it was just the most exciting day of my life to get that job. Um, and so it was great. And I, I learned a ton from different people there. We had um, Jim Bowden was our GM and then Dan O'Brien and then Wayne Krivsky. So we went through a gauntlet of, of different, you know, and new ownership as well. So I learned a ton about, you know, what, uh, you know, what that looks like when it comes to regime changes and how different leaders lead. Um, and honestly, some, in, in a lot of cases, what doesn't work. Um, and I learned a lot from that, you know, as you first come in, it's like, well, the Braves were sort of the gold standard. Um, and obviously they, they remain the gold standard here with what they did last year. Uh, but that was sort of the franchise you look at. And then to, to come in here and, and, and learn in, in, a, in a tough situation in Cincinnati, I really learned a lot. I really did. I felt like I learned a lot from that uh, experience and then went from there uh, to the Tampa Bay Rays and spent almost 10 years with Tampa and, and, you know, kind of graduating there from the Devil Rays into the Rays and what that meant uh, to be a small part of turning that franchise around with, with a great group of people was just an awesome experience. And obviously those guys are all around the – the industry now and, and doing super well, including the guys that we saw last week in Tampa. There are a lot of great people still there. So, and then been here for seven years. David was, was um, thoughtful enough to take a chance on me. And I love working with David. It's, it's as good as it gets uh, as a person, you know, to work for. And, and, and um, yeah, it's been, a, it's a, it's been quite a, a run for me. And um, you know, the, the last thing I want to try to do is just, is just win a world series. That's, that's my, my goal here. And so that's what we're, we're aiming for. You mentioned driving from was it Bakersfield to Dodger Stadium for an internship? And I've read about the ca the car was special. Uh, it, it was a uh, tell us about the car your ride back then. So I yeah it was it was Santa Barbara to, to L A and so yeah um, I, I would drove my my grandfather's seventy seven Cheyenne truck um, and it had the gas tanks on both sides right so you had to go over and fill it up and then put the 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 handle actually on the ground and then back up and then fill up the other side right and it was. AM only radio, um, you know, no power doors or anything like that, power windows, any of that stuff. So it was, it was, it was pretty old school. And I think it got eight miles a gallon. Um, honestly, like it got solid eight. Right. And so, um, gas was a little cheaper back then, you know, but, but yeah, it still wasn't great, but, um, yeah, cr pretty good experience. I'm not sure I could do it again, but, but I missed that truck actually. <laughs> I mean, and legitimately, you said legitimately a hundred plus miles each way every day. Uh, I mean, for, I'm sure as an intern, um, a modest salary of any salary. What, and what did you, uh, what do you remember doing in that role with, with the Dodgers? A, a little bit of everything. I, I mean, I was, I was an assistant on the business side there, so I was doing, uh, actually not a ton of baseball exposure in that job. So I was just, it was just a job to get my foot in the door. So I was doing everything from the, the fan of the game, uh, to an on-field, uh, activity. So, you know, they, they, where the, the fans would pick one, two or three, I was the guy that hold up the one, two or three kind of guy. 
Um, I was the guy that would pick the raffle for the for the who would win the cruise, you know, for the week, the three day cruise or the seven day cruise. Uh, organized some group events, you know, for different people. I would shuttle. I remember, you know, some players around. Matt Hurgis was great to me, you know, as a player. And and we had, I think, Todd Hollinsworth and a few other guys that I got to spend some time with. Um, but yeah, it was just, you know, get your foot in the door, do whatever it takes just to be around. And it was a cool experience. Because you were an econ major, I think I saw in college. Was, was your initial thought like to get into the business side of baseball? Or did you always think like, I want to be kind of baseball ops. I want to be a GM. And this was just your in to the industry. I think so. Like, I, I, it was probably just, let's like, I, I would just love to work in baseball. Right. That was what it was about. When I met, like I said earlier, when I met with Tony Regans, it was just like, I just want to be around, you know, I just want to be part of this. And then as you kind of get involved in, and are around it a little bit more, you kind of learn a little bit more of the nuance about the departments and what they're about. And then I started to sort of set my sights on, okay, what, like, what, what could this be and what this looks like? And I'm humble enough to recognize, like, I did not see this, um, you know, honestly as a possibility in some ways, because I, I realized the odds of what it takes to be here. So I'm just, I'm super fortunate that people believed in me, you know, throughout the, throughout my time uh, to be here in this opportunity. It's, it's just, it's just unbelievable. I've texted David enough at 11 o'clock midnight to know that you guys work extremely long days and long hours. What do you do to like get away from the game, to get away from baseball and unwind? Um, spend time with my kids, you know, when I can, I mean, and my family, I mean, that's, you know, um, to the extent that we can travel over the holidays, you know, a little bit, my kids are at an age where I like to try to travel a little bit more with them and expose them to the world, but we don't get a lot of windows to do that, you know? And so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's spend time. It's good. You know, maybe I can go shopping with my daughter or if it's, if it's uh, go to my son's baseball games or play catch with him, stuff, stuff like that. I mean, that's, that's what I do to, to get away. Otherwise it's um, it's all baseball and that's great, right? I love baseball. And so that I got no issues with that. It's just baseball all the time. So are there hobbies like for you personally that, that, I mean, I like, are you a golfer? Are you a race car driver? Are you a uh, baker? I don't know. Is there anything that, that you really like to do? I have no hobbies whatsoever. I'm extremely boring. I have no hobbies. I, I um, no, I, I really don't. I mean, honestly, like I get home and I was listening to, the, to what David was talking about on, on the podcast when you guys had him on and, you know, binge watching shows and, and things like that. Like he, he said, and I, I agree with him, we just don't have a ton of time to do that. And so when, when I come home from a, a game, honestly, like I'll, I'll put on the, the West Coast games and I like watching the, the A's and the and the, the Mariners and all those guys playing, you know, on the on the West Coast. So I, I try to catch up on on West Coast games when I get home and and then uh, shut it down, you know, after that to, to get get back after it again in the morning. One idea, Matt, that I've heard talked about it, and I don't know if you support this or not. I'd be curious to hear what you think about it is like a dark period in the off season, um, and some deadlines, sort of like we experienced with uh, the, the CBA this year, where there was that flurry of activity before the lockout. And then, you know, you could put some kind of a deadline and then a transaction freeze for a period of time and give everybody a breather. Would you be supportive of that? I certainly would. And I, I think there's actually, like you said, I think there's some really interesting signs that that, that made sense. I mean, we saw the flurry of activity right before we shut down, uh, obviously for other reasons. But I think that, that it does generate um, buzz, I think, at those anytime you have those deadlines. Um, and action, right? So if there's any time there's a deadline, we're going to have to try to make a decision. And so I think that creates opportunities for players to sign and also for teams that needed to, to have some level of action. So um, I'm all for it. And then also having any kind of downtime, you know, would give us a little more time to maybe get a hobby. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I don't know how good this microphone is, but they are singing the national anthem before this ball game, so I probably should let you go. But Matt, I, I just appreciate so much the insight into some of the workings in the front office and, and then also your fascinating background and journey in this game. So thank you. Awesome, Adam. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. You know, what I really like about this interview is it teaches me that I have something in common with Matt Arnold because I also got a job in baseball and started dancing around my room. But we had to take another break. When we return, we're dishing out our stats of the week and talking a little trade deadline. We'll be right back. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. And we're back. You know, a lot of exciting things going on. The Brewers are playing exceptionally well over the last couple of weeks, which means they're putting up some big stats. So, Adam, why don't you get us started? It's stat of the week time. No, go to Tim first, Brad, because I'm still teeing mine up. I can't find it. Oh, man. All right, Tim. Transition time. Yeah, that's code for I'm teeing up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, You didn't write one down, Adam. You didn't come up with one. Yeah, I yeah. know, because I'm relying on... Uh, a few seconds. I, do your homework, right, Adam. Here's my stat, uh, and it, I'm going to try to do it like McAlvey does it. 47 and 35. Mm. Oh. Yeah, right? Um, that's and, and that's the record of the Brewers, but that's not where I'm going with that. The Brewers have played 47 road games this season. That's the most in Major League Baseball. That's two more than the A's. And there's three other teams that have 43, but 47 road games by the Brewers, the most in Major League Baseball, and 35 home games. That's it, 35. And to put it in perspective, the Yankees have 34 home wins. So what's that mean? In the second (laughs) half, you're going to see a lot of Brewers home games, and they finally get some sort of home field advantage, and they're going to get it a lot in September, uh, which is probably what you want. So yes, the Brewers put their dues in in the first half. Yeah, well, when you do thirty road trip or thirty road games in basically a forty-day period, <laughs> those accumulate pretty quickly. Okay, I'm ready for mine now. Oh, okay. The reason I had to get it oh, is oh, look who finally <laughs> is ready to turn. And this is homework done. Teacher. teacher, teacher, I know. Uh, <laughs> I had to find it because it's not my stat. I wanted to highlight the fine work of Andrew Grumman, who had another winning road trip as he piles up the victories as the traveling media relations man, and Mike Vasallo because this was in their their media notes going into yesterday. I just thought it was interesting because, you know, we talked on the pod midway through June. It was the Brewers were off to a terrible start in June. Everything was going wrong. And in yesterday's notes, they had, so this is going into yesterday. Since June 15th, the Brewers lead the majors in runs per game, just shy of six and runs scored and tied for first in with 71 extra base hits. So I think my stat, I should have started like this, is 5.94. And yes, that is buoyed, as one fan pointed out when I shared this, by an 18-run outburst. And I get that that does skew the numbers. 19. 19-run outburst, and that skews the numbers. But that is still a run scored. It counts just like all the other ones. It counts just like the times they get shut out and score zero runs. So I guess that's how I would put that. Um, I think it's just encouraging. The, the reason I wanted that to be the stat is 
they did a major bounce back in the second half of June from uh, what was shaping into a terrible month. And they reached this mathematical midpoint, 81 games, in like a positive space. So I think that was a, a good way to sort of go over that hill into the second half. I feel like this was almost identical to last year's June. Like, I remember they had a very bad start to June and then had a tremendous second half of the month. So it'd be interesting to look back because we've done a bit of comparison, especially in this segment, about this year's team to last year's team. And it'd be very interesting to see how comparable that is. Now, my st- I remember May being terrible, and then they got Willie Adamas, and then May turned around. But we'll, we'll look back at June, and we'll, we'll discuss later. Uh, so my stat is actually a date, June 17th. And that's the last time Rowdy Telez had a single. Because that man has been on an extra base tear. Since then, he's just... Everything he hits is either a double or out of the stadium. The guy has been... has. Nine hits, six home runs, three doubles. He has a 917 OPS, an 83 BABIP (laughs) because so much hasn't gone into play. So the guy's been a power monster. And I think that's Rowdy as advertised, right? We know his power is a big part of his what people expect from him. So it's happening. And the guy is uh, crushing baseballs right now for great results. And just wanted to call that out because I think it's pretty astounding when extra base hits don't go for a, like you have long periods between not having an extra base hit. So the guys had some good results as of late. And when Rowdy gets hot, good things happen for this team. All right, Adam, we're going back to you since you couldn't answer the first one first. <laughs> if you had to pick one spot for the Brewers to address at the deadline, what would it be? I'm going to say a bullpen arm because I feel like that is the, I use this, I mean, I'm saying, I want to say safest bet and I'm questioning myself even as I say that because the Brewers saw last year that that's not a safe bet. They've had. Oh, really? What happened? Well, they picked up a couple of relief arms that didn't help them at all at the uh, trade deadline. I don't remember that. Um, But I think that's, you know, to, to fortify those middle innings um, in front of the Boxberger Williams hater trio could be a really huge ad uh, for this team. It's an, it's a, it's a, an attainable ad. That's not going to cost you the farm. I just feel like adding a hitter is so volatile and I'm, you know, you guys could maybe come up with a better example of a, a, a hitter. They acquired at the deadline that really helped them down the stretch. Mike Moustakis. Okay. That's a good one. Granderson, I think, had some moments. I'd, I'd put Curtis Granderson maybe on that list. Um, you know, Eduardo Escobar was as hot as could be. I mean, I think Eduardo Escobar helped, but he got cold in September. Yeah. Like, it wasn't like he didn't help, but he just wasn't hot in the right time. I guess I'm just going to play it very, very safe and say uh, a kind of middle relief depth is a boring answer that could play a huge role in winning a couple of games and then really help them um, in October should they get that far. All right, so they're going to get Jorge Lopez. I'd love that. He's a fantastic, incredible guy. (laughs) Tim, are you a coward like Adam, or are you going to give us a good answer? (laughs) Well, since you you look back at all the runs this team has scored, um, it would have been easy two or three weeks ago to say, yes, they need a bat, right? Uh, But you look at just seven out of their last, let's see, out of their last nine losses, seven of those, they've scored four or more runs. 
So they're scoring runs even when they're losing. Uh, but I'm still going to go with a bat. I, the reason I say that is because I was so convinced about a month ago that the Brewers are going to go after Nelson Cruz. I, I still kind of feel that way, where they can just, when those big games happen in September, they want to put the big DH right in the middle of that lineup and say, you, you got to get around this guy and you're not going to be able to do it. Um, I know that's going to disrupt a lot of the way the, you know, the McCutcheon's going to have to play more and all that kind of stuff. But um, I don't know, for whatever reason, I feel like that may be a good bet if we were betting. I'm not a betsman, I'm a guessman, and I'm guessing uh, you know, something like Nelson Cruz being a DH for the Brewers in September. Aren't you the guy who came to us with the tidbit that the Brewers didn't want a DH that was only a hitter coming into the season? Coming into the season, yeah, but things can change and you know, maybe the lineup changes. And, you know, I, honestly, honestly, do they need anybody or anything right now? Not really. Um, their pitching is fantastic. Their bullpen's fantastic. Uh, the defense is good and the offense is scoring runs. So as of right now, as this pod is being, you know, recorded, oh, let's hold on. Yeah, I hit record. It was, as we're recording, uh, do they really need anything? No, I don't think so. I, I, they just need a couple of their guys that are injured back. They need a at least another outfielder, probably another center fielder. Not that I don't believe in Tyrone, but I, I think at least a platoon side or another right-handed bat too that can help them against lefties, specifically in the outfield. And maybe a solid defensive presence in center field. Uh, I mean, Jonathan Davis is providing that, but I wonder if you can get like a, a... There's a few other players out there who I think can provide... Uh, kind of what you were expecting Locane to give to you. And as we've discussed, you know, obviously he came into the season and his, his body wasn't quite where he wanted it to be. So we didn't get that. So I think trying to acquire a replacement for that would be beneficial to this team. So that's where my head goes. Yeah, no, I agree. To me, a lefty bat would fit too. Like some kind of, you know, then if, if Taylor is back, because he's, I think when he's gotten regular playing time, he's been pretty good. Um, I, you know, I think a Curtis Granderson type would be really nice. The Yankees had a scout there in Pittsburgh looking at the pit, the pirates, which you assume they're looking at Brian Reynolds. I mean, if you want to go, oh, are people looking at acquiring Brian Reynolds would be, if you want to go Brian huge because he's be got like a zillion epitome. years of control. If they got Brian Reynolds. Yeah. That would be the biggest trade, um, that they could come up with y yeah, right now. Yeah, you would have to trade the farm. Yeah, you'd lose everybody, but they've done that before and it's worked out. Okay. For them. He's a really good player, really, 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 really good hitter. If it comes down to it and you're making a run for it, he would be a, a, a difference maker. I mean, proven. I don't think this is the guy any Brewers fans are talking about, though. I don't think they're really No, it never is. It, ne it never is. With the, they always kind of zig when you think they're when it's obvious <laughs> that they're going to zag. No, it's, guys, they all want Brian Reynolds. That's the, oh, really? That's the only name on the market. It's a that and Andrew Benatendi. Hmm. All right, Tim. Yeah. Favorite non-baseball sport. Let's hear it. Professional Favorite, baseball um, player. Um, do I have to play it or just watching it? No, just your favorite. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Favorite can be anything. It's subjective. Well, every four years we'd watch the FIFA Cup <laughs> in the clubhouse. Oh, right. <laughs> that was always fun. Um, I don't know. I don't really. That's a good one. Why are you questioning? No, I don't. Because I mean, I don't know. I don't really watch a whole. I watch uh, on Sundays in the off season. I watch football all day Sunday. I feel like that's pretty standard, though. Um, yeah, that's all I got. Not very. I love yeah, baseball. You're a red blooded yeah. American man. <laughs> America. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> all right, Adam. Favorite non baseball sport? Table tennis. 
Awesome. Right. I love it in the Olympics. I love dominating everybody when I get to play. We go in spring training over to uh, Culinary Dropout for those who visited Phoenix, the Phoenix metro area. And I just uh, take everybody's soul, remove their <laughs> souls from their body and crush them and destroy their night. The only person I cannot beat is Mandy Bell, our Cleveland Guardians beat reporter, is legitimately the best ping pong player I've ever met. You're an awesome ping pong I player. I am the worst. Wow. So I know that. I I played like I only played in gym. And like it was like You had ping so, pong in gym? Yeah, my I went to a nerd school, so my gym classes were the best. We never played anything serious. <laughs> um, Y'all wanna go outside or you wanna play table tennis over <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if, if he took us outside, the teacher is going to get a letter from all our parents about how we got burned in the sun, yeah. you know? Like <laughs> table tennis. Um So, it was also a Wisconsin gym class, so there were maybe only like 12 days during the school year that <laughs> outside was an option. Uh yeah, so, but I learned that we played it very poorly because then I went to college and played against people who actually cared, and I was like, oh, I'm awful at this. Like, I just like to go at a slow, <laughs> gentle pace. They're putting, like, spin on it, like, shooting it at me 100 miles per hour. I'm like, no, thank you. We used you. to have one in AAA That's, that- in Colorado Springs. You'd be surprised all the guys that were really good. Nate Orff was legit. Um, yeah. Isn't Hater good at it? Uh, I don't remember Hater. J.J. Hardy's the best. Corey Hart's pretty legit. J.J. Hardy was a crazy ping pong They both, remember when there was like an Olympic team that visited the clubhouse, the Brewers clubhouse years ago? Um, J.J. Hardy and uh, and Corey Hart like played off against like this women's Olympic table tennis team and like didn't win, but like came really close. I don't know why I remember that. I don't even know what it was for, but it's like 2011. I remember getting to play. They had a ping pong table. Remember this, Tim, off the visitors uh, dugout in Cleveland? There's a there's a ping pong table and I I got to play JJ Hardy thinking I could hold my own and he Good just luck. destroyed me. Destroyed now he's a pickleball champion. What? Yeah, I don't know if he's a champion. I think that's what that's the last I heard. He's playing pickleball wow. in uh, in Phoenix and dominating everybody. Okay, Shocker. he's a crazy. Athlete. He's a really good. Yeah, athlete. crazy. Athlete. All right, what's Brad's favorite non-baseball sport? It's curling. That's all the time we have. But thanks, as always, for listening. Don't forget to follow our hosts. You can find Tim Dillard at Dim Tillard on Twitter and Instagram. Follow his reports from the Bally's pre- and post-game show and when he's on the broadcast. And look for Adam McAlvey at Adam McAlvey on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Also read his work on Brewers.com. Of course, you should be following the Brewers on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. If you don't have a TikTok, make one and follow us or else i will come to your house not actually i don't know where you live but we'll see you next week thanks for listening